Good morning, church. And um, this morning, let's just give uh, honor to those who are blessing and giving back to to rebirth and sowing into rebirth. Um, I wanna. Where is that man called uh, Octavian? Did he did he have to leave? Ah, he shall catch the recording. Um, Octavian, we appreciate you, my brother, for what you are investing into the little guys' lives. Um, You know, planting seed into the kids is everything. They are future generation, and we have a responsibility towards them. Amen. So we thank um, Octavian for the work that he's doing, and we thank also the leadership and the Church of Rebirth um, for this initiative as well, putting back into uh, the lives of the little ones. This is not taken for granted, amen? amen. So welcome, Rebirth. And, and as you know, uh, I am that guy that likes presentations, so uh, it just makes things a little easier for me and hopefully for you as well. So um, Risi, if you can assist me this morning and... Uh, Put something on screen and we'll take it from there. Okay, Jesus, the chief cornerstone, is uh, our title this morning. And let's just pray before we get into, into anything. Father, I come to you this morning so apprehensive, so... not worthy you call those and you equip those who are not worthy so father we just thank you this morning that it's not me standing here but me just standing here as a vessel to be used by the king of kings and the lord of lords i ask this morning that you put your word in my mouth that you articulate what it is that you want your people to hear father i pray for the hearts that would receive this word that put four on fertile ground this we pray in the mighty name of jesus amen, amen. and uh, welcome back sister ingrid good, good to see you uh, in the house this morning um, out there doing god's work in the uh, mission fields we missed you and we appreciate you being back in the house amen so jesus the chief cornerstone let's get straight uh, into it this morning and Historically, a cornerstone, as you can see on the right-hand side there, was the most important part of any building. Most important part of any building. So this particular stone, the entire wall, Okay. It was normally one of these stones that was placed first, placed first, and then you'd get these um, boulders who would come and take sightings along the edges of the stone to see where the rest of the building was going. If this stone was set correctly, 
the rest of the angles and lines of the building would all fall into place. Okay, so very important how the stone was set. Thus, the cornerstone actually became a symbol for that which held life together. In the days of uh, Isaiah, the leaders of Israel had actually chosen their own cornerstone, a different cornerstone. They believed in their own political savvy, they made military alliances, and they trusted in those. Okay? And that was a bit of a shaky cornerstone, it didn't last. And as we already learned, they got taken into captivity because they did not trust in the cornerstone that was given to them. They were taken into captivity, and uh, God after this declared through Isaiah that he would establish a cornerstone for, for them that would never fail. One that would be tested and tried, and it would never fail. The New Testament writers recognized that this stone that God was talking about was actually Jesus Christ. Okay. The Savior said of, him, of himself in Matthew 21, verses 42, Did you never read in the Scriptures, The stone which the builders first rejected has now become the chief cornerstone. Okay. The Apostle Peter also repeated Isaiah's prophecy and added, And he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. As we see on screen as well, Ephesians 2 verse 19. Remember, we did the book of Ephesians. We did the, the mystery of Christ where we had the Jews and the Gentiles who were now included in the body of Christ. And Ephesians 2 verses 19 to 20 says, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophet, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. That is our foundation. Amen? Amen. That is a little bit of a seed that we're going to drop this morning and we'll come back to that. We're going straight into the letter of Jude. Our brother Grenville laid a nice solid foundation for us last week under very strict time control and um, he did very well so going to try and follow in those footsteps this morning. Um, the author of Jude as we see in the introduction, introduces himself as the bondservant of Jesus Christ and the brother of James. His life is literally a journey from unbeliever to believer. It's a big thing that he's using this. Jesus, remember he's the half-brother, uh, half right, of, of, of Jesus. He's using Christ after Jesus. He's grown up the entire time with Jesus, knowing Jesus just as Jesus. But it's a big thing that he uses the word Christ. Christ is English, Greek is Christos, into Hebrew tra tra uh, translated into Messiah. Okay? These verbs are actually meaning to be, to be anointed with oil. Okay? Meaning the chosen one, the anointed one. So when he uses Jesus and Christ after...
if I think, I think truth, I know this is the Lord God. Amen. Judy, in no uncertain terms, declares that he is a believer. The epistle is a general epistle. Now, we've heard the Bible was not written to us, but it was written for us. Amen. This general epistle might not have a letter written to the Ephesians or to the Galatians. I'm going to say this morning and take this very, very, very soundly. This is written for rebirth this morning. This is a, a, a word in season for us at rebirth. Don't take it like I'm, we're talking something that belongs to somebody else. This is talking to us today. It is valid and true for today. Okay, so who is he talking to? He's writing to believers. Okay, in verse 1. The, uh, believers who are called, sanctified, and preserved, as he has in verse 1. In other editions uh, of the Bible, the called are also called the chosen ones or the elect. The sanctified, or the sanctified by God the Father, as it put, is also the beloved, the loved or the wrapped in the love of the Father God. The preserved in Jesus Christ, and remember these four for later on because we, we will uh, talk to those. The preserved in Jesus Christ, also in some editions called the kept, the kept and guarded for Jesus Christ, secure and set apart. These are who we are as believers. These are the promises that have been given to us. We've been set apart. We've been kept in Jesus Christ. Now, the purpose of Jude being, and remember, like I said, this is for us, rebirth. This is for us. This is for now, a time such as this. A caution against false teachers. These false teachers who are ungodly men who were men that were turning the God's grace into a license to sin. Yeah. It's, it's okay. God will forgive you tomorrow. It, it, it does not matter how you live today. God is a forgiving God. God is a merciful God. You can do what you like. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. It's all okay. They, they, they also deny Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. They, they deny the deity of God. We need to know, we need to have spirits of discernment when we start hearing and seeing these type of things. Don't fall into the trap of, hey, I'm going to go with the gospel that is convenient for me. Yeah. Convenient will get us on a one-way ticket to hell. A one-way ticket to hell. It's not where we want to get to. So the apostates or these who reject Christ, we need to know who they are, what they look like, what we've got to look out for. Amen? So remember, when we are looking at all of these, I don't want us to be thinking of back then. They're talking about what must happen right now. In Second Thessalonians, Second Thessalonians, Verses 2, it says the great apostasy. And I was just reading this this morning. Sorry, this wasn't part of, of, of the notes. It says, now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, this is the second coming of Jesus Christ, and our gathering together with him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by the word or by letter, 
as is from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come. So the second coming of Christ will not come unless the falling away happens first. Or the less the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped. So everybody is looking for the Antichrist. Everybody is looking for the Antichrist. But before the Antichrist even comes, the apostates are coming to deceive you before the Antichrist comes. But we're sitting and looking for the Antichrist all over and these are infiltrating into the church. We are sitting next to the false teachers. So, the profile of the apostates, they are ungodly. They are grumblers. And, and, and take notes. And every time people are starting to portray these things, pray, pray for discernment. Okay, morally perverted, fault finders. They deny Christ. They are self-seeking. They defile the flesh. They are arrogant speakers. Division. How often have we heard this in the church? How often have we heard this in the church today? Churches cannot stay together. Why? There are people inside of the church that are causing division. They are corrupted. They are world, worldly minded. And this is the big one. They are without the spirit. They are without the spirit. They are not walking in love. Verse 3 says, they will creep in, or they have crept in unnoticed. This was being written way back then. How much creeping in has happened since then? You and I have a duty to not be ignorant to these things, family. Verse 15 says, it has been prophesied that these ungodly will face God's judgment on Christ's second coming for their actions and also for what they've spoken against Christ. So don't worry about this. They've got their lot in life. They will be judged for there is no free ticket for living a life like this. Amen. The judgment will come. Our reading this morning is taken from Jude 20 to 25. That's only five verses, but Lord, trying to get this down into a little, woo! <laughs> I'm going to take the reading uh, from, so in your Bible, Jude 20 to 25, and um, thank you, Father, for the ruffling of pages this morning. I hope you've been reading along with us. There is a reason why we are doing this, this type of teaching. We want to get the whole church involved in this. Okay, Every, You've got a duty to get into the Word. Verses 20. Everybody there? Amen? Amen. Amen. So verses 20 says, But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, Praying in the Spirit. Keep yourselves 
in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And on some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Now, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen and amen. And I've made some notes in my Bible. You can too if you like. Verses 20 to 21 causes us to take a look inward towards us. Verses 22 to 23 causes us to look outward at people. And verses 24 to 25 then causes us to look upward to our Father. I like this. The inner work produces outer fruit which then glorifies our Father. Amen. Amen. So in verse 20, we've got a big but, right? Remember, remember, we had just before this, just before this, come on, come back now, come back now, come back. <laughs> Um, uh, the judgment that's going to come to them and all of these things. So there's lots of focus on these false teachers. But there is a big but, right? What is the big but? The big but introduces contrast between the beloved, the true believers, like we said, those who are sanctified, wrapped in the love of God the Father, like we said earlier on, and the false teachers. So the contrast that we are talking about is this. There are expectations of you and I. So we know it has already been prophesied that these false teachers will come, right? They will come, they will be here, but we are not powerless. In fact, we are not supposed to sit powerless and just accept it. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. So we've got spiritual weapons that we are supposed to employ. Yeah. All right. So here's the expectations of you and I, the true believers. We need... Now, now all of this, there's a central theme here. The, the one in red. Keeping yourselves in the love of God. How do we keep ourselves in the love of God? We build ourselves up in our most holy faith. We pray in the Holy Spirit. We have an eager anticipation of Christ's second coming. We have compassion. Okay? We have mercy and patience. And I've, uh, uh, I've put in that word long-suffering for a reason. Because sometimes, you know, our patience really needs to go and really becomes long-suffering. We also have an intolerance for sin. Be sensitized to sin, lest we are infected by it. Sin is contagious. Make no never minds about that. Now, in this verse 20, you'll see that we've got a few present active participles are used in the sense of an imperative. 
what you must do. So what does it mean, this active, present active participles? So normally you'd have bold, right? Pray, you've had keep, which are verbs. These present active participles, by adding ing, now makes them adjectives describing an action that must currently happen right now. It is current, it is what must be doing, you must be doing continuously. Okay, so it goes on throughout the scripture to talk, to talk about building, praying, keeping. Later on we talk about making a distinction, pulling them out of the fire, hating the garment of sin. But hold on, hold on, hold on. All of these things... We're looking at all of these things and we're thinking, yeah, that's a lot of responsibility for me as a person. And I could start thinking that I need to do all of this in my own strength. I need to do this according to my own works. There's a problem with that. Take at a, uh, let's have a, a look at the contrast between um, uh, some things in the Bible. I like the book of Jude because it starts with Let's just go back to the, to the book of Jude to chapter 1. There is only one chapter, by the way. That is just to check if you are awake. There is only one chapter and there is only one verse. I know some haven't caught that joke yet. But it's, it's, the book of Jude starts with... With, with, with God, if we see here, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ. Remember, like we said, another word for preserved is kept, yeah. right? So here it is saying that it's starting with Jesus Christ. If we go to verses 24, now to him who is able to keep you from, from stumbling. So it starts the book with Jesus and God, it closes the book with Jesus and God, and our responsibility also is found in the middle. All right? So when you get getting all these responsibilities going on here, this is not for you and I to be doing this in our own strength. This is not for you and I to be taking this on and saying, listen, I'm going to make myself good for God. We will never be good for God. So if we look at that, right, we've got... Those uh, two uh, particular uh, scriptures versus the, the uh, personal calls to action, and I've termed it as this. As true believers, we must live or serve as if it all depended on us, but rest knowing that it all depends on Him. Yeah. Okay, so say that again. We've got all of these, and this is why we've got to study the Bible. If you go into certain parts of the Bible and you leave it in, uh, out of context without taking into consideration the whole picture, we start living lives that we're not supposed to be living. Amen. So we've got this responsibility, but God has got us in the beginning. God has got us at the end. As true believers, we must live or serve as if all depended on us, but rest knowing it all depends on him. Here's some other examples of this. If we look at Ezekiel 18.31, cast away from you all the transgressions which you have committed and get yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. Sounding like there's a lot of responsibility on us once again, right? Ezekiel 36.26, I 
will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. We are working together with Christ our Lord and Savior. 12 to 13 and we know this very well right therefore my beloved as you have always obeyed not as in my presence only but now much more in my absence work out your own salvation with fear and trembling it's a lot of work it's a lot of responsibility once again x 20 verse 32 says now brethren i commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. We've got a responsibility, but we rest knowing that it's not in our own strength. Amen. The believer's responsibility is to be obedient and faithful by living out his salvation and to remain in the place of obedience where God's love and protection is poured out on his children. If we look at Romans uh, 8.38, it says nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God. If we remember the, 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 uh, the parable of the prodigal son, right? Romans 8.38 says nothing can separate us from the love of God. He was never separated from the love of the Father. But because of disobedience, he did not experience the benefits of the love of the Father for a, for a certain time. And this is true to us in our daily walk um, with the Father. If we are walking in lives of disobedience, we are walking outside of the benefits of the love of the Father. Amen. So, the expectations of the true believer, um, which we've already seen, and remember, like we said, you've got looking inwards, looking outwards, and looking upwards. Right? The central theme, like we said, is keeping ourselves in the love of God. That's the central theme. But how do we do that? Okay? We build ourselves up on our most holy faith. There's a couple of things that we need to look at here. How do we build ourselves up? How do we, how do we keep ourselves drenched and entrenched in the love of God? Romans 10, 17 says it very simply. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith comes by. That's how we're going to build ourselves up. Now, family, I, I, I've already said we are coming to a point in time where those who are teaching falsely, preaching falsely, talking falsely are in the church. If we do not have a love for the word of God, which is the truth, how are we going to avoid this? How are we going to avoid this if we cannot sit under the word of truth? It's not by chance that God is taking rebirth down a path of saying, don't get into a point of you only preach what is the nice things to hear. What is the, 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 the twisted version of blessings? Go into the everything, the, the meat of the word. Is it a problem? This is something that we've got to ask ourselves. If we cannot sit 
under one hour of the word, but we can sit through three hours of Netflix with no problem. What is the problem? What is the problem? We need to get to a point where we say, you know what, Lord, I need to hear your truth. Many of us have kids. If you do not feed your kids this truth now, you will have to be answering a question later on of whether your child sees themselves as a boy or a girl. That is what is being fed right now to us. And we are sitting back and saying, um, the truth is too much for me. One hour. We need to get to a point of this is life or death. This is what it's about. We need to get to a point of what does the lives of our family mean? What does the soul of the next person mean to you? If we are saying uh, too much word is not good. What are you saying if we say too much word is not good? Family, we need to question ourselves. So if we look at the preposition that we have, which is on or in, we don't find that in the Greek original, right? But the preposition gives more explanation of what the holy faith is. So in holy faith, talking about us as believers helping each other up, this is not a walk that we do alone. We are not a one-man band. We are not a one-man band. We are called to build up the church of Christ together, building one another. Building on is talking about the foundation of truth that we were talking about earlier on. Jesus Christ is our foundation. Any other foundation that is being presented to you is a falsehood is a falsehood. We need to become students of the word and build on truth. Hebrews 10.25 also says, we should not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Like we said, your most holy faith is that which is built on truth. Amen. Praying in the Holy Spirit. So just before, just before I move on to that, when we're talking about the foundation of truth, and I, I thought it's just pertinent to read the scripture at this point in time, because it, it's just plainly put out there. John 3, 16 to 21. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men loved the darkness rather than the light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in 
God. Our foundation is this built on Jesus Christ. Praying in the Holy Spirit means literally allowing the Holy Spirit to inspire our prayers. Okay, because you know when you and I pray for uh, out of our own flesh, where do we go to? Where do we go to? Pastor Bevan spoke about in, in Psalm 1 what blessings really mean. But hey, we are all over the internet. God has blessed me with, with, with the, the brand new BMW. God has blessed me with the brand new Ferrari. My account is bleeding, but God has blessed me through this. And, but family, we need to put things into context. When we pray and ask the Holy Spirit to lead us, He literally leads us according to what is on the heart of God as well. Amen? Amen. So we want to be guided by the Spirit um, as we pray. To pray in the Spirit um, also, is, has anybody been in a place where you've gone through so much where you're at a point of weakness where you don't even know how to pray. You, 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 your tears are praying for you. Your tears are praying for you. This is groaning before the Lord. Romans 8 verses 26 to 27 says, Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. This is so important. The Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. This is not done in our own strength, family. For we do not know what we, sh we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the Spirit knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And then also praying in the Spirit could mean praying in tongues, a gift um, of the Spirit, um, if you've been given that gift, and uh, speaking mysteries to God. 1 Corinthians first, uh, verses 14 to 2 says, For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but speaks to God. For no one understands, uh, understands him, however in the Spirit he speaks mysteries. You know, there's a lot of the time, and especially when uh, uh, praying in, in tongues is new to you, your mind uh, rebels against it. You, 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 you ask yourself, why? This, this, this is not normal. But you are edifying your body. You are speaking to Christ. Even if you are having those thoughts, those thoughts are from the enemy. Push through, continue, continue, continue. You will see the difference that makes uh, in your life. Paul obviously encourages the private de devotional use of that, of that particular language um, unless there is somebody and, uh, to interpret for the church if that is what you are using it for. So being led by the Spirit... Um, uh, in prayer, groaning in the Spirit, and also using that prayer language is what we mean by praying in the Holy Ghost. Now, having an eager anticipation of Christ's second coming is also an expectation of the true believer. And if we look at the present tense, having an eager anticipation means that this is something that is in the present tense implying a habitual state of how we go about our lives. Okay, 
every single day should be a day where could this be the day, Lord, that you come? Could this be the day, Lord, that you come? This is the difference between being kingdom-minded versus earthly-minded. Because your whole perspective on life will actually change. Your whole, pers your whole perspective on life will change if you are anticipating the second coming of Christ because you know that what you are going through now is temporary. This is not the be-all and end-all of my life because God who is on the throne is coming. Amen. This difference of being kingdom-minded affects my priorities, affects my perspective. It alters my emotions. It alters my emotions. What a difference it is. When, you know you see this constantly with um, motivational talks. How you must step out of bed. How you must switch your mind to this. How you must switch your mind to that. If you don't intentionally do those things, you are being railroaded for the day. This is a Christian believer's mindset. We look forward to our Father, our Christ who is coming again. Amen. So those are part of what we were doing when we were looking in. Now we've got to do a bit of where we are looking out. God is doing the work on the inside, causes us to have fruits on the outside. And the fruits on the outside is then dealing with people. Remember, these people that are um, the false teachers are going to affect people within the church. The people next to you and we become very impatient I know we do it becomes very hard when you are investing in like Lord I've spent so many hours preparing this message how come why is the Lord having any impact in this one's life and that one's life Lord I expect this to happen like this why is it not happening God says that we've got to show compassion Okay. In verse 5 it says, On some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire. Okay. So Jude gives us two approaches here. One is to show compassion, be gentle with them, patiently um, waiting for them to come to see the light. The others you have to grab by the scruff of their neck, they have one foot literally in hell already. There's a difference here. Some people you can minister to uh, with compassion, stressing the goodness of God. As Paul says in Romans 2.4, 2, uh, 2, that it's the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. Now, now just check this out. The great awakening uh, in America in the 1700s, uh, if you haven't, uh, go, go and search this. It's called this book that, um, or the, the ministry uh, from Jonathan Edwards, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Now, this man was described as this old, frail man who spoke in a monotone voice, giving the word like this. Now imagine you're going through a whole message of this guy. They, they say he was, he, he was so blinded. He, 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 every so now and then he just looked just here to the front row to these people. His engagement was just here. He spoke in this monotone voice. 
And he was delivering this title, Sinners in the Hand of an Angry God, where he gave the analogy of the unbeliever dangling as a spider on its web over a fire and literally about to go. This man that was delivering this message in this particular way, they say after he was finished, people began to weep under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. We are just vessels. The word of truth will do its work. One plants, one waters, but it's God who brings the increase. Don't get impatient with your loved one that is not coming to the fore. It's not your work. It's God's work. We need to be in the gap as the vessels for Christ and be, be ones who believe that God will come through and do the work. Amen? Amen. Number six, still looking towards the outside, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. And in the Old Testament, whenever a man was cleansed, cleansed from uh, leprosy, which is a picture of sin, his garments were burned. So Jude used the analogy, says, when you're dealing with folks who are caught up in perversity, make sure that you yourself are not affected. Save the man, but burn the garment of sin. Burn the garment of sin. Um, Pastor Bev preached on, on, on Psalm 1, and I like that analogy that is used in Psalm 1. I don't know if you picked it up there. It says, you know, first you're walking. You're walking in the, in the council of this ungodly. Then you're no more walking. Now you're standing with them. And before long, you're sitting with them. You've become so comfortable. You've become so comfortable. The sin has become so contagious at this point in time. This is what we need to guard against. Family, above all things, above all things, when we are busy with people here with compassion or if we are speaking harshly, we are doing this from a place of love. It's about them, not about if we if we are preaching to somebody from from a point of being self-righteous, we ourselves are in danger. We ourselves are in danger. Amen. The three key points that I want us to just remember for us as uh, believers from what we've taken away there. Stay in the word. Become a student of the word. What we are doing here is, is, is one small part that we stay in the truth we've got to pastor bevan says this a lot if we're not praying we are playing and we are straying so we've got to pray in the holy spirit and we've got to have that mindset of every single day is a day where we are looking for the return of jesus christ we are on earth but for a short time 
We are looking for the return of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Amen. All right. Then we are going to be looking upward. Um, verses 24 to 25, which is the, the last part. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forever. Amen. So the traditional New Testament doxology has four parts. Number one, to the person who is being praised. Uh, number two, to the word of praise. Number three, to the indication of time. And number four, to the word Amen. Those are the what you will find in the doxologies. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, so Jude, in that particular scripture that we just read, 24 to 25, um, addresses God with an added description of Savior, which I'll get into uh, in a little bit. But he also adds two functions that are directly related to God's, or, or to Jude's readers, rather. He says, you are able to keep them from falling, expressing the power and sufficiency of our God and His ability to present us, or, or, or to prevent us, rather, from, from falling into these traps um, that the false speakers are bringing. Once again, God is able if we are walking in obedience. God, God, the benefits of what God can do in your life depends on our obedience. That is the grace. We, we, we love to call for the blessings of God, but our part is lacking. Our part is lacking. And the, at that point in time, we are like, I don't understand this God. I'm angry with this God. But we take no responsibility for our part in this. The second attribute that uh, Jude gives in the doxology is God's ability to take away our sin, to present ourselves faultless before him. Um, God has the ability to make us clean. I don't care what it is you've done and where you've come from. God has the ability to, to wipe it clean, to create a clean slate for you. The enemy will come to you and completely uh, remind you, want to remind you of what is in the past. God is saying, I am accepting you without blemish. As those, 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 those animals were presented for sacrifice, without blemish, God is able to do that in our lives. The title Savior that I said that Jude used, excuse me, the title Savior is used eight times in the New Testament to refer to God, but more frequently, 16 times it is used of Jesus Christ. The term itself refers to the work of salvation, God saving us through Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ. And the time that he uses uh, in the doxology, both now and forever, cements the never-changing God for all eternity. God does not change. 
God stays the same. God is always there, willing and knocking and calling for us to bring us to that point of completion in it. And the word amen says, to so be it. So be it. So the idea that I'm trying to bring to the fore this morning is that what we do, we do through Christ who is our cornerstone. We rest on him. The entire building rests on this cornerstone. The entire building is nothing without this cornerstone. If you remove the cornerstone of Jesus Christ in your life, everything else crumbles. We need to rest on that which has been given. The Israelites have showed us over and over and over again when we try to introduce our own cornerstones, does not last, cannot last. Here is our cornerstone. So when the enemy is tempting you to disbelieve the love of God because you feel like you are in over your head, look to the cornerstone. When you feel like the world is spinning too fast and and everything is out of control in your life and you cannot make sense of what is happening, look to the cornerstone. When your anger and your emotions are taking a control of you, and you cannot understand why you do what you do, look to the cornerstone. This is what it's all about. Family, our look towards the cornerstone talks to a life of having an eternal outlook on life, not a temporal. Again and again and again and again, until our Lord comes, we look to the cornerstone. Amen. Um, family, that is it from me today. I don't think uh, Zuei shared um, any screens with me. I was rather, I was rather traumatized uh, the last time. Uh, so I, I uh, complied this time. I bless you and I thank you. Pastor.